Good day today, Saturday, April 6, 2019. We're just a few short weeks away from one of the biggest days of the NFL calendar, that is the NFL Draft. Welcome, this is Aaron Thomas. I am the host of the podcast, the General Manager Podcast, and this fifth edition. Sincere thanks to all of you that have shared some positive vibes with me, either in person, text message, instant message. Thank you so much for uh, wanting to come along with me as we talk more than just the, the surfacy things you get on Google, on various websites and Twitter, etc. We're going to delve into numbers today on this podcast. The general manager, what would you do if you were the general manager of a team? How would you go about running your business, running your organization? And you look at all kinds of different things, not just the numbers. You look at the player makeup. You look at your own culture, your business culture. What are some of the things that you're doing to try to make your team, uh, all of the guys, all 50 plus guys on your team do really well and play well together. And then how do you sustain that success over years? And so that's kind of what this podcast is all about. We get into a little bit more details than just the stuff you see on local news or Twitter, etc. And over the last seven days, we'll, we'll talk about some of the transactions that have happened in the NFL since the last time we talked. Linebacker Aaron Lynch re-signs with the Chicago Bears, one-year deal. The running back for the Detroit Lions, the brand new running back is C.J. Anderson. Thank God C.J. Anderson's out of the NFC West. I'm so happy that we don't have to face him uh, next year. He is a battling ram. The guy is just a big bowling ball. And uh, yeah, he can go out to Detroit. And, uh, and by the way, both Detroit and Chicago are doing really well in this free agent uh, period that we have here. And we're in the fourth wave is what I'm really saying that is happening. We've got, this is the fourth wave of the NFL uh, free agent period. And the Seahawks uh, got in on the action the last seven days. They were able to secure the services of Nate Orchard. Many of you might remember him from the Cleveland Browns. He was uh, actually one of the standouts, I think, of that HBO Hard Knocks series that they had with the, the Browns last year. He was a second round pick and a number 51 overall as a linebacker in Cleveland. And he was one of those guys, if you watched him, would get in the backfield quite a bit. He had a knack to get behind the line of scrimmage to go after the ball carriers, but for whatever reasons, couldn't finish. <laughs> He'd get to the finish line and just couldn't get over the hump there. And it's going to be great to see him in Seattle to see what he can do. Maybe, you know, our our defensive coordinator, uh, can, Ken Norton, can actually do a good job of helping him secure that, that quarterback sack or that tackle for a loss. And we'll see Nate Orchard doing uh, wreaking havoc in the NFL this year for Seattle. And Cassius Marsh is re-signed with Seattle. He was with us. We originally drafted him. Uh, and then he ended up going to New England and then San Francisco. He actually got a really good deal in San Francisco. He signed about a year ago, last February, for over three three and a half million dollars in that first wave of free agency. So don't think he's going to get that much money. We'll talk about that in the second segment of this podcast. 
and how both Cassius Marsh and Nate Orchard fit into the Seahawks overall cap strategy and how, how much money we've got left, etc. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Demarcus Lawrence, oh my goodness. He has finally set the market for defensive ends in the NFL by securing a reported five-year deal worth $105 million overall, $21 million a year roughly, and $65 million of that $105 is guaranteed. And so kudos to the Cowboys for not only franchising Demarcus Lawrence, getting him for one more year, but then working out a deal with him and then being able to allow folks like Frank Clark to the ability to try to figure out his own contract situation in Seattle. So that kind of clears up some uh, confusion or some unknown out there about how much the Frank Clark is going to be asking for Seattle to give him. And so in this podcast for today, we're going to talk not only about the Seahawks and what's happening in their cap situation, but we'll also be talking about that interesting Bleacher Report article that came out in the last 48 hours regarding Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and just really the the dysfunction that's happened over the last three to five years. It's interesting what the the reporter was able to uh, glean from speaking to a lot of anonymous sources. I thought that was interesting that nobody really wanted to go on the record (laughs) to talk about Aaron Rodgers. And we'll talk about why they didn't want to go into on the record about that in the third segment of the General Manager podcast. All right, let's get into the to the interesting headlines that were made this week with Russell Wilson wanting to get a deal done, an extension done with Seattle. And that, that's fine. We all knew that was going to happen. But for him to set a deadline for April 15th kind of caught us all off guard. Uh, my initial reaction was this has to be more than just Russell Wilson. You know, this has to be Sierra or maybe his agent, definitely his agent. But to us, I was like, wow, I mean, why would you set within two weeks of the date that you say this, that, uh, you know, you want this deadline, this this deal to be done. But then another report subsequent to that came out saying, well, that's not true. The Seahawks had since early January uh, to get this deal done by the start of these this first wave of of um, mini camps that are happening all across the NFL. And April 16th is the first date that the team will get together with its current roster to get together with its head coaches and its head coach and other coaches. So yeah, you don't want to, you go into any kind of, you know, uh, training camp, any, whether it's mini camp or, or uh, you know, not mandatory camp. You don't want to go into that and having to figure out, are you going to be on this team for long term? But, you know, and realistically, the Seahawks have never done uh, an extension before the draft. In the years that John Schneider's been there, you've never seen him extend anybody into uh, before the the training camp. It's always been in the summer. You always hear right before the, the, the main training camp in July, late July, you hear of an extension happening. And sometimes it extends into the season. Finally, you hear uh, one of the te- the members got uh, an extension for three or four years. So for uh, Russell Wilson to want to get this done before the April 15th deadline was 
Our April 16th minicamp was really, really interesting. And you look at, you know, basically what the player really, really wants and what the team really, really wants. And that's really what we're talking about with Russell Wilson, Frank Clark, Jaron Reed, uh, Jaron Reed, and you also got Bobby Wagner. Throw him in there. You talk about what is it the player really wants, and they, they want guaranteed money. They, they don't, you know, this whole thing about the annual, uh, you know, money per year. Now, that's important, but that's more about ego, right? You want to be able to be like, well, I'm the highest paid player. I get this much money per year. But nowadays, you know, with the quarterbacks getting all this guaranteed money, Kirk Cousins getting uh, almost 100% of his his contract guaranteed, which is unheard of in the NFL, very, very much so happens in Major League Baseball and in NBA. They These guys all get guaranteed money, no matter what happens, whether they play or not, they're going to get paid. And you think that the NFL, because of the fact that it's so risky just to play and the onset effects of it after you get done playing, you would think that that the NFL, the players would hold out until they get their 100% guarantees, but that's not going to happen. People are making too much money. So the team really, really wants to stay under the salary cap because if they don't, they get dinged with uh, various fines. They also want low dead money. And we talked about that a few podcasts ago, if you want to go back to that and listen to uh, what we were talking about, the dead money situation, like the Giants have one of the highest dead money situations going on this year where they literally gave all kinds of money to players that are not playing with the team anymore. So it limits the amount of players that they can get this year. And so they're going to be probably another top 10 draft pick next year, uh, a, a team drafting the top 10 again next year. So yeah, the team also wants low cap, a low cap hit on each player, the lowest cap hit they can get because as we said in various uh, previous podcasts, you want low cap hits so you have more pie to give out to other players that can help your team succeed for that year or beyond. So the player wants guaranteed money. The team really wants to stay under the cap. The player also want, does want to be the highest paid and, and also been you know, given the, the highest or the best market value. You know, if you're valued at $20 million a year based on various statistics and looking at comp comparables or comps is what they call that. You want to be paid what you're you know, commensurate to what you should, what you give out there on, on the field, what you do in the locker room. So players do want to be at the highest paid, but they, and they also want uh, to be valued at the market rate. And so, uh, you know, you look at Demarcus Lawrence, we reported that you know his five-year, twenty-one million dollars annual per year is fine with Demarcus. I'm sure that's good, and, and that twenty-one million is actually above what SportTrack said thought that he was valued about nineteen and a half million. So he's getting above-average market value, and then the sixty-five million dollars of that hundred and five—that's really what Demarcus is wanting. Show me the money. I don't care about it in two or three years. I could get a you know, I pull a Cliff Averill and, and, you know, hurt my neck as I'm making a, a, a tackle and be out of the game forever. You know, Cliff Averill's sitting at home right now. He should be playing for Seattle. Cam Chancellor sitting at home. These guys are their late 20s, early 30s. They should be playing three, four, five more years, but they're sitting at home. Players want to get paid. They want that guaranteed money. 
Demarcus Lawrence got about 65% of his, 60 to 65% of his new contract is now in his pocket by signing on the dotted line. So good, good on him. And, you know, you look at the Seahawks situation. Yeah, team really wants to stay under the cap. Well, how much cap do they have? The Seattle Seahawks currently rank 22nd. They are below average the other teams in the NFL. Uh, they all have about $20 million on average left to spend in free agency. Seattle's got $12.25 million left to spend. And you take a look at the draft. Fieldgoals.com did a good job of sharing with us that there's about a $4.5 million need, projected need for the draft coming up at the end of the month to sign your draft picks. You have about another million and a half left for emergency costs. And, and uh, in case somebody goes down, you want to be able to have that sitting in your budget. And then also for the practice squad, you know, eight guys sitting on your practice squad, you got to pay them. You're not going to do this for, for you know, commodity cheese. <laughs> so after it's all said and done, the Seahawks really only have realistically $4.4 million left under the cap. And this is not including the Cassius Marsh and Nate Orchard signings that we had this week. Now, I'm projecting that Cassius Marsh is probably going to secure about a $2 million uh, contract. Like I said earlier, he had $3.5 million last year in that first wave of free agency. Well, this year, you know, third, fourth wave, yeah, they'll probably get him about $2 million. And then Nate Orchard only had $377,000 against the cap last year. And uh, I imagine it's going to be around the same this year in Seattle. It's a prove-it deal. Both of them are definitely prove-it deals. And uh, we'll see if they can prove and, and stick and so the only good news uh, so far that we know of uh, for the Seahawks salary cap is that Cam Chancellor's deal, his, his uh, cap hit is going to be reduced. Currently, it's at $12.5 million against the cap or 6%. Ouch. That's, that's significant when you're talking about some guys that are sitting out there on, you know, at home waiting to get that phone call to begin negotiations and we could have used that $12.5 million this year. But, you know, how did we know a few years back that Cam was going to get injured? And this is the, the, the what we'll talk about here next, about how you structure a deal and how a lot of uh, Cam Chancellor's money, you know, continues on the books, even though he's not playing. It's part of the dead money that we talked about earlier. But uh, anyway, $10.2 million will be freed up after June 1st which is good. So hopefully some of the guys we'll be talking about here in a second will be sitting at home and maybe we need them. Maybe we could use that $10.2 million. There's other things that uh, the Seahawks can do to uh, increase that $4.4 million left. Or what I'm thinking is now more like $1.4 million with the Cassius Marsh and Nate Orchard signings this week. We've got about $1.5 million of realistic cap space left. So we're definitely in the red zone, uh, not on the football field, but in the budget. And, you know, what could Seahawks, the Seahawks do to, to, to try to, you know, increase that in case they do want to go out and get a guy like Indomitian Sue, uh, who's sitting at home, Eric Berry, who's sitting at home, Nick Perry has not signed, uh, Ziggy Ansah, uh, Jamie Collins or Jernigan, uh, defensive tackle, you know, you got uh, also Jermaine Curse, who's come to Seattle 
uh, recently or is wanting to come back to Seattle. And who knows about what's going to happen with Doug Baldwin. So we got to figure this out. You got about a million and a half left under the budget uh, to spend. And, and really, realistically, $1.5 million isn't going to get you any of those top you know, 15 free agents that's sitting out there. So you got to figure some stuff out. Some options are, number one, you could probably cut Barkevius Mingo. As much as I love Barkevius Mingo, I love his speed. Uh, you know, he tried his best last year to be in this this new system that we have here. And over the, the year, he did better. But is he worth $4.1 million against your cap? You could save $4.1 million if you cut Barkevius Mingo today. And to increase that $1.5 million, you could also cut CJ ProSize. I mean, and again, you're only going to get... $745,000 in savings and then incur $173,000 dead money. So you, you don't want that. Anytime you cut a player, you want low dead money or no dead money after you cut them and high savings against the cap. And with Mingo, you get you do get a tremendous savings, $4.1 million against the cap, but you also have incur $1.1 million in dead money, which is what you don't want. Uh, CJ ProSize, $745,000 savings, but $173,000 in dead money. You got you could cut J.D. McKissick if you wanted to. We played without him most of last year. He does provide a really great out-of-the-backfield uh, receiving threat. And does he block okay? Nah, not so hot. I would say below average in blocking. He runs really well. Um, I'd say he's probably an average to slightly above average running back uh, running the ball. He's got a, a cap savings of 720000 and a zero dead money, which is what you want. So, again, those are small uh, kind of, you know, uh, bite-sized savings that you can do if you were to cut a few guys if you needed to. Um, but the real savings is going to be in the extensions and this is going to get us into the second segment here of the the general manager podcast we'll talk about the four uh, guys that the seahawks need to extend and i'm telling you right now i've done the math i've looked at it from uh you know looking at others that are in their positions how much they sign for and can seattle realistically Sign Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Frank Clark, and Jaron Reed to extensions? And my answer is yes. <laughs> Again, you, you figure, okay, how the heck are you going to get the, you know, it's never been done. You've never had a top three quarterback, a top three linebacker, and a top three defensive end in any year be on the same team and extended. But through the magic of Cash flow, again, if you're a general manager, you have to understand cash flow. You have to understand, you know, what uh, some of the risks are by doing some of the things that you're going to do. And is it going to deter you from, you know, future years and, and, and really handcuff you? And the way that I look at this is that, number one, the, the first domino that has to fall is Seattle extending Russell Wilson. So having the April 15th deadline, although has never been done in Seattle, is very realistic to do. Only because any other guy that comes behind Russell, let's say in a few years, you got Chris Carson. 
who's only going to be about $880,000 against the cap this year, by the way, decides, hey, John, you know, Russell did this a couple years ago. I'm setting my deadline for April 1st, uh, you know, to get my extension done. You know, you've got four months or three months to get it done. Well, the Seahawks are going to look at Chris Carson, tell him to go jump in the lake because... You know, Russell Wilson is the quarterback, you know, the franchise of the quarterback. He's a, he's the, the main person. And, and so you're going to have, uh, you know, the president, if it's going to be set, you want it to be your quarterback. The way that I've got it down is we're going to make Russell Wilson a Seahawk for life in theory. A seven-year deal is what I'm projecting. $211 million dollars. $94 million of it guaranteed and $8 million in cap savings. So that's pretty good. Um, is it Kirk Cousins and getting, you know, a gigantic amount of guaranteed money now? No. Is it uh, securing a, lo- a long-term deal, which is what Russell, Russell Wilson wants? He wants to be and feel like he's a part of this team for a long time. Yes. But the way I've got it structured is interesting and uh basically if you look at uh, i've got my own little database (laughs) i know john clayton has his i have him earning a cap hit of 17 million dollars this year and currently he's about 25 million against the cap which is an eight million dollar cap savings which is great again and to get that 4.4 million dollars up or even 2.4 million if you know now that we got Cassius Marsh uh, in the deal or in on the team you know you now you got over 10 million dollars sitting there plus after June 1 you have an additional 10 that's going to get you 20 million dollars after June 1st with Cam Chancellor's 10 million coming off the books then uh, in year 2 so basically it's a four year it's a guaranteed of $94 million, which is really awesome if you're Russell Wilson. That's going to be sitting in your pocket the moment you sign on the dotted line. But in order for Seattle to feel comfortable about this, I have them having an option in year five. So if the, if an option uh, for Seattle to say, yes, we want you, you know, by then Russell's going to be in his early 30s and, you know, depreciation kicks in, you have... You know, is he uh, as fast as he was? Is, is, is he accurate? Is he Tom Brady, basically? Is he going to be able to sit back there and be able to hit his targets within 2.2 seconds of the ball being snapped? And in year, in year 2023, if the Seahawks say, yes, we want you, then a three-year extension kicks in and the Seahawks will then guarantee him an additional... $48 million sitting there. So it's interesting. And again, it's all about cash flow. You got to figure out, you know, your base salary, your bonus money, any options is what, what we're, what I'm projecting here in option in year five. And then the cap hit, you know, what is it going to look like on your books? You know, and in this case, in this scenario, the cap hit accelerates from year one to year seven from $17 million this year up to $31 million in 2025. And that that seems to work for teams only because, uh, you know, every year the NFL sets its cap, a salary cap for each team based on revenues and 
you know, all the money that's coming in from media and TV. Uh, and so you, you look at it and say, you know, this year it went up about $11 million. And so in the next six years, theoretically, it could be up 55 to $65 million per team. And so, you know, having uh, $188 million this year could be anywhere from 240 to 250 million by 2025. And at a $31 million hit against $225 million is very reasonable. The second guy that would then, after Russell Wilson gets extended, would then be Bobby Wagner. Bobby is the quarterback of this defense, and I have him extended out for five years at $95 million, 49 of it guaranteed. And so again, Bobby, hopefully Seattle will will get this one done. I mean, there's no uh, savings in this. There's no cap savings, unfortunately, the way I've got it structured. Uh, In fact, his cap hit goes up a little bit this year, which is very rare. Uh, by about a million dollars. He's expected to, to be about 14 million against the cap this year. I got him at 15 this year with this extension. And so you take some of that 8 million that you, that you save with Russell and give a little bit of it to Bobby uh, to get him uh, into Seattle as a Seahawk through 2023. And at about the, uh, the average, there is $19 million a year for Bobby Wagner, which is pretty commensurate. C.J. Mosley uh, with the Jets, he's about $19 million a year, which I think they extended him, or they over overdid him, in, in my opinion. I, I think that um, that really did hurt the Seahawks when C.J. Mosley uh, signed on with the, the New York Jets at kind of a, I think it was definitely an above um, market. You know, he's... Averaging 17 million a year. So, you know, and he's younger. He's two years younger than Bobby Wagner. But, you know, the 19 a year, it sets the the tone. It sets the market for uh, any other extensions coming up. Uh, Bobby is your quarterback for the defense. Um, Has played really well for you. He's not been in the media. I think uh, Bobby warrants to be the highest paid uh, player in the um, NFL. Uh, linebackers in the NFL. All right, then you got Russell, you got you got Bobby. Okay, what about Frank Clark? Frank, uh, SportTrack says, SportTrack.com is one of the great uh, websites. If you don't look into that one, I would definitely do that. It's a really great, uh, over the cap is another one that I look at. And so SportTrack is, is valuing Frank Clark at 15, almost $16 million per year. We talked about Demarcus Lawrence coveting $21 million a year, $65 million guaranteed. And so SportTrack is saying, okay, based on our numbers, he is above average and the top average of, of the top five defensive ends at his position. He's above average in sacks. He is below average in quarterback hurries. He's below average in run stops. And he's below average in overall rating. So that's why they've only got him at 15 or 16 million per year. And even though they had DeMarcus Lawrence at 19. And so they are saying he's below DeMarcus Lawrence. Well, in my structure, I've got uh, Frank just, just slightly below DeMarcus Lawrence. And a lot of it is because I agree with Sport Track. I think 
Uh, Frank has done a great job. And if, if we're just talking about sacks and that was your only key performance indicator, I would say no way. Uh, Frank Clark's got to be up there or better than Demarcus Lawrence. He's younger uh, than Demarcus Lawrence, I think by one year. Yeah, Demarcus is 26 and Frank is 25. But we're not talking about just, just sacks. And I like that Sport Track talks about quarterback hurries. What's the, again, I always talk about the reason why you go all in and this, this new wave of, of offenses in the NFL is to get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback as soon as you can. Uh, to, you know, throw the ball, you know, five or ten yards down the field majority of the time. And a defensive end's job is to try to reduce those explosive plays where the, the, the quarterback's got more time to sit back there to wait for the receiver, the tight end, to get out down open downfield 20-plus yards or more. So that's really what the reason a defensive end is, uh, you know, how they're valued. And But more importantly, you don't just get them in there to rush the quarterback. You also got to stop the run. You know, that's another, if you've got a really good defensive tackle who's plugging up the middle, they're gonna, the, the running back has to go around the end. Well, there's your defensive end, and he should be able to get to the running back and either stop him for a one or two yard gain or hopefully tackle for a loss or even at the line of scrimmage would be great. But so I've got Frank Clark at five years, $100 million, $40 million guaranteed. And that would, uh, I've got it also structured where he would save the team $8 million by um, taking a lower cap hit this year. Uh, again, he was at scheduled at $17 million because of the franchise tag that Seahawks uh, placed on him. This gets uh, his cap hit down to $8.9 million by giving him the guaranteed uh, $40 million or $8 million prorated over five years. It keeps Frank Clark uh, into, in Seattle into his uh, early, you know, late 20s, early 30s, which is good for Frank. It gets him in there. It also um, places him right below Demarcus Lawrence's contract. And so, yeah, I, I have him uh, making $100 million for five years. Pretty pretty cut and dry for Frank Clark. That solves that, that one for the next five years. Now, the final one is Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed is an interesting animal because he, he, he didn't do very much his first couple of years. Drafted in 2015, and first couple years he played injured. And it wasn't until this last year he really showed flash of the guy that we all expected when we drafted him out of Alabama. And uh, looking at his comparables in, uh, you know, Jarrett, Grady Jarrett in Atlanta is probably uh, the closest that I have uh, for a 4-3 defensive tackle uh, he, he was drafted, uh, Garrett, Grady Jarrett was drafted a year before uh, Jaron Reed and was given the franchise tag this year. So he's going to be making uh, currently $15.2 because of the franchise uh, tag. In Seattle, you've got Jaron Reed, who I've, uh, again, he was making less than about a million dollars this year is what he was uh, going to go up against the cap. Really cheap for 2019, but... Again, uh, you know, we want to take some of the money that we save with Russell, that we save with Frank, and give some of that to Jaron Reed and shore up your defensive line. 
and keep Jaron Reed here through 2022. So I've got him down for a four-year deal, $52 million, $25 million guaranteed. And I think, again, that gets, um, you know, Jaron Reed happy. He, uh, you know, again, he showed uh, uh, lots of success this last year. You know, kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of teams who didn't uh, follow Seattle. Um, But, you know, overall, um, I see him doing really, really well for for Seattle for the next four years. And so, um, again, this is all part of being a a general manager, you want to be able to shore up your young guys. You want to be able to uh, give the guys that you drafted, you, you scouted, that you did all this time, and you got to, you know, your your coaches have have molded. Why should some other team come along and take the the fruits of your hard work? You really don't want that. You really want, uh, you know, to be able to extend the guys that you have drafted. And so, under my um, my numbers and the structures that I've got it created, we are able to re-sign Russell Wilson seven years, Bobby Wagner five years, Frank Clark five years, and Jaron Reed for four years. And when I was, and skip back to the quarterback because again, that's a tremendous amount of money that we're that we're talking about, two hundred eleven million dollars. Again, that becomes the highest paid uh, quarterback in the NFL. Um, but. At the end of the day, um, you know, $211 million, you know, Kirk Cousins, uh, let's see, the number one uh, uh, valued contract in the NFL currently sits at $150 million. That's Matt Ryan. Uh, second is uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Wow. $137 million. Uh, Matt Stafford at $135 million. And Aaron Rodgers at $134 million. So for Seattle to pony up 211 million uh, on paper looks good, but again, when we're looking at uh, in reality, it, it really is a four-year deal. Uh, the way that I've got it structured, four years, 122 million. So will Russell Wilson go for something like that? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, uh, you know, but. If I'm the general manager, that's probably one of the first negotiations that I'm putting out there that, again, you're going to be the highest paid uh, player in NFL history at $211 million in the value of your contract. Uh, you're going to get a substantial amount of money now, $94 million of that. And so, again, if you look at the, the, the first four years, again, the ones that I'm talking about, you know, it's $94 million, but you, you have to remember it's $122 million of that is uh, is on the books as a cap hit, but 94 of that is guaranteed. So it's, you know, and if you do well, you're doing what you're wanting, you know, doing the things that you, you normally do, your first in, last out, your no, you know, no sleep mentality, um, you know, you do well on the field, like and we know you can, there should be no reason that, the, that we wouldn't pick up your fifth year option. No reason if you're doing the same things that you're doing. And, and one of the contracts I looked at uh, actually was Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady uh, had this this option uh, twice in the 18, 19 years he's been in the NFL. And so, you know, you, you bet on yourself when you take that option, when you, when you agree to that. And, you know, you bet on that you're going to be able to come back and, and be serviceable and be uh, top 10, top five quarterback uh, four or five years from now. 
And, and what, who better to really you know, bet on himself than Russell Wilson? The guy is unstoppable you know, mentally. You know, he wants to be you know, remembered as one of the top quarterbacks ever to play this game. So his work ethic isn't going to change. You know, as long as Seattle does a good job of at least giving him an average pass protection offensive line, then we got something right. And uh, this helps the team in, in case something, God forbid, happens to Russell Wilson. They gave him all this guaranteed money, but it gets them out of it. And and again, it reduces, in theory, it reduces their, their cap hit if they say, okay, you know, uh, Russell, you're, you're diminishing. You used to be a top 10 quarterback. Now you're top 20. And uh, we're going to go ahead and move on with this other guy we drafted a few years ago. It gives them the option to move on from Russell, uh, similar to what we're doing with Cam Chancellor. And uh, it, it does. It, it, it keeps the team sustainable over time. So I hope they do it. I really do. I think, uh, again, my numbers, again, looking at... Uh, what has happened in Seattle and what we can do going forward is pretty exciting. If you can, you know, get your top four guys re-signed, it sends a tremendous message to anybody that's being drafted uh, to your team in the next three or four years that we take care of you. Yeah, there were some guys that we had to let go, and I bet I think the Golden Tate, uh, you know, letting him go has probably been been the biggest like uh, whoops uh, in the history of the Seahawks franchise, only because. You know, he was a head case. We know that. But at the end of the day, he's still, uh, you know, top 10, top 15 wide receiver in this league. After all these years, even though he's been kind of bouncing around, he's still getting paid, by the way. And it would have been good to keep him instead of Percy Harvin, I guess. That's probably the real reason why it's such a big oops is that we gave up so much for Percy Harvin but again, when you're signing guys like this, I don't care if it's in free agency or an extension, you have to understand what are they gonna bring to the table? Who are they? Are they divas? Do they really care about the team? Are they gonna put their team ahead of themselves? And this Bleacher Report that came out a few days ago uh, surrounding Aaron Rodgers was a real eye popper for any general manager or anybody that wants to be a GM in this league or in, in any organization, you know, you, you sign this, this quarterback who's everybody knows he's one of the top two or three uh, current NFL quarterbacks, maybe top 10 all time. And, you know, he came into this league, according to the Bleacher Report, he came into the league with this tremendous chip on his shoulder, which is good. Sherman had that same chip. Um, Russell Wilson has that chip, but this one is different. You know, he really, according to the report, uh, Aaron Rodgers really held Mike McCarthy, his head coach, accountable for not picking him sooner in the NFL draft. And instead, they, when McCarthy was a head coach or was a coach uh, offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, they picked Alex Smith. And so when Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers are united on the field in, in Green Bay, he doesn't like McCarthy and he lets him know it. And it just, it's, it, the report talks about how Aaron Rodgers is a humongous diva. Like if he don't like you, he, he's so passive aggressive and not only passive aggressive, but also like, you know, diminishes you in front of the other guys. Um, 
it talks about a couple of wide receivers that that he didn't like that that you know they'd be wide open and he wouldn't throw it to them because he didn't like them. Wow, how uh, you know Mike McCarthy was like, okay, Aaron, you know you've you've won us a Super Bowl, you've uh, you got to the point where Mike McCarthy, according to Aaron Rodgers, wasn't even the head coach, uh, wasn't even playing calls, you know, uh, sending the calls out for offensive plays. That in fact, even during practices and walkthroughs, McCarthy was up in his his uh, office getting back massages rather than being out there, you know, preparing his team for the upcoming Sunday. What the heck is going on in Green Bay? And uh, you know, this doesn't help Mike McCarthy. He's uh, sitting at home right now, probably wanting to get back in the league as a head coach. And when you hear things like he was taking time off. You know, and, and not being there with the team, with the guys as they're pre- preparing for the next week, that does not bode well for him. Moreover, you know, we talk about the Seahawks wanting to, uh, you know, extend Russell Wilson and giving him all this guaranteed money. And, you know, I'm projecting it to be about $94 million guaranteed. You know, what does that do to a human being when they get that much money in their pocket? Does it, do, do they still have that passion, that drive? And I'm not, I will be the first to tell you, I will never guarantee you that, that, that Russell Wilson is anything like Aaron Rodgers in terms of his personality. I mean, Russell still will continuously give up his own time to other people that are disenfranchised in this world. You know, he's becoming more visible and vocal, you know, on social media. Aaron Rodgers doesn't do that whole lot of that. But... To me, they're apples and oranges. They're not the same guy. And, you know, I think Russell Wilson's chip that he has is within himself. Whereas Aaron Rodgers' chip is, you know, I'm not only going to have it within myself, but I'm going to extend it out to anybody else that gets in my way. And I think there's a humongous difference in that. You know, if Aaron has a really an average year this year and guys won't play for him, yeah, it could be the beginning of the end of one of the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen, at least in my generation. And so, mainly because, you know, if that chip is what's driving you and you have to step on throats to get there, you know, who who wants to play with you? Even if you are, you know, you can, you know, basically pull a rabbit at your butt. Who wants to play with you? I, I wouldn't. Who would? You know? Uh, free agents, uh, wide receivers, tight ends, guards, centers, they won't want to come play play for you. You know, you're supposed to be a band of brothers. Would they want to go play with someone like Russell Wilson? Absolutely, yes. And again, according to uh, some recent survey, the Seahawks franchise is one of the top five places, organizations that free agents want to go to. Mainly because of the culture, the atmosphere that they have, the you know, the structure that they've created, this this play for your brother's mentality, not play for yourself. That's what the value of Pete Carroll. People say, oh, we got to get rid of Pete Carroll. He's handcuffing Russell Wilson. We shouldn't be spending $211 million on a on a quarterback who only throws one, one every, every three plays. You have to have an amazing business culture set up in an organization like the NFL, big business where every every play counts, every inch on the football field that's earned 
are taken away is huge. It all starts with the culture. It all starts with leadership. It all starts within the individuals looking at the mirror and saying, I'm playing for my brother. I'm not playing for you. I'm playing for him. That's what's happening in Seattle. It wasn't happening in Green Bay. And now they've got a whole new head coach and they've got, you know, hope maybe hopefully a better, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a rope around Aaron Rodgers and telling him, putting him back in his place. Like, dude, you're going to demolish this organization fast, especially now that the word's out or even the perception is out about you. What are you going to do to, to, you know, show your brothers that you're there for them and not them there for you? That's going to be an interesting thing to watch in 2019. How will Green Bay, you know, go forward? And, and as a Seahawks fan, I'm, I'm very, very happy <laughs> that, they, that they're demolishing themselves, you know, because I hate Green Bay. And if you're a big Seahawks fan, uh, you would agree with me. But yeah, if you have a chance to read that uh, in its entirety, I sincerely hope you do. The Bleacher Report com. It's called bleacherreport.com. I would look into that and, you know, see, ask yourself, what are you going or what is Green Bay going to do to get themselves out of this rut that they're in? So looking at the upcoming calendar, uh, not a whole lot going on. Again, free agency is continuing. Uh, we'll see where uh, some of the guys and again, I originally had a, a funny uh Proposition, I guess, if Seattle wasn't going to extend Frank Clark, is they tried to get value for him. You know, tried to go out and get draft picks. But if you think about it, Seattle is in an interesting position that you know, even though they've only got four draft picks this year, and a lot of folks are saying they're going to trade, you know, trade out of the first round and get out of the number twenty-one overall and get a two or get a two and a three for it, uh, second or third round draft pick for it. Um, you know, next year they are in prime position because they have got all seven of their seven rounds, all seven picks uh, slated for 2020. And they've also got four compensatory picks, which they've been really protecting. And they've got a ton of cap, cap space sitting on, uh, sitting and available for them next year. And again, if they end up, you know, pulling the trigger on the top four I'm talking about, that cap space gets uh, eaten up pretty fast and they'll probably be a little bit in a better position next year than they are this year. But regardless, uh, they don't really have to uh, trade Frank Clark to get picks. If that was what my reasoning was, was to reduce the cap space, increase the draft picks for this year and next year. They don't really have to do that. They're in a good position. And John Schneider and, and their capologists have done a great job of so far of, of kind of uh, maneuvering right now. Well, they're going to be earning their dollars right now, though, as we speak, you know, with less than about two and a half million dollars left to spend, you know, after the draft and after emergency costs and practice squad costs, you've got about two million dollars left to spend. What are they going to do? We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. And that's it for me here on the general manager podcast next week. Again, we'll get into uh, more details of transactions that have happened. We'll talk about the NFL draft and where the Seahawks are projected to go after and what, what uh, what's remaining, what's left remaining after, you know, getting all their free agents for this year, 
what do they need in the draft? And we'll talk about some of the deficiencies that I see going forward. You know, do they need uh, to draft a left tackle with Dwayne Brown getting older? Uh, do they uh, need to go out and get us uh, another quarterback to to be their backup? Or are they going to be okay with Paxton Lynch? You know, these are all questions that we'll find out. Uh, a lot of folks are saying that it's going to be a lot of defensive players that they'll have in mind for the draft. And, you know, that's normally the Seahawks way, draft defensively and then go after offensive free agents to fill the gaps. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, so we'll see you next week on Saturday, April 13th, 2019. My name is Aaron Thomas, and thank you for listening to the General Manager Podcast.